Stay tuned to Vinyl Community Podcasts. Buddies, back in the building. Hey, it's Concert Buddy here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. I've got a fun one. I'm already going to call it another fun conversation with my guest, the 2023 I think it's back in May, but 2023 Music Producers Guild Mastering Engineer of the Year, Cicely Balston. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. How, how does that sound? Because I wanted to make it really have a lot of pomp and circumstance because that's a big yeah. deal. Like, how did it feel to win that award? Oh, like, great. <laughs> it was back in, yeah, back in May. I'm still like chuffed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, it's back there. So I'm like, oh, no, gone the wrong way over there. <laughs> You're not, one of, you're not one of the people who has it like as a doorstop, right? You do have it prominently displayed nah, somewhere. I've got it right? in the studio, of course. Um, I don't know about prominent. I just sort of keep it in the background. <laughs> Things. Um, awesome. But uh, no, it feels really good. It was very, um, it's, yeah, real honor, really. Uh, I know a lot of the previous winners and previous nominees. And just to be sort of up there among their number is... Um, is uh is a real accolade to me <laughs> like it's yeah amazing so yeah that's cool well uh for the folks listening and then watching uh later uh where i kind of started getting familiar with cicely's work is uh through like vinyl me please you've been doing a lot of stuff with vinyl me please and some reissues and we'll kind of get into that but you've been doing this for a minute you've been doing it uh and and tell me if i miss any facts this is my homework part of the <laughs> performance and, and see, I've got uh, to stay my bio is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but it's an interesting bio because you started mastering in 2013 uh, I think you started at gearbox which is an all analog uh, operation and then you've been you joined air master uh, studios in 2016 left for a second came back in 2020 and been there ever since am I missing out anything in the career no room? no that's it yeah yeah awesome that's it. So what made you want to get become a mastering engineer? Were you a musician? Are you do you like the science behind it? Tell tell the audience how you how you came to this career. Yeah. Um so I kind of I wanted to be in studios. I was kind of interested in the background of uh of music. I I, I play instruments like not, you know, well, I always played instruments particularly as a teenager like at school and uh, I didn't really want to go and, and be a performer particularly. Um, but I quite like maths, I quite like physics. Um, I was interested in the sort of technical background and just sort of interested in, in what was going on behind the scenes of all the music um, that you can listen to. Uh, and so I went off and did a sound recording, music and sound recording degree called the Tom Meister course, um, which is uh, the one in the UK is at uh, University of Surrey. Um, and so that kind of teaches, the premise of that is it's like music, uh, maths, physics, practical recording, and a lot of kind of theoretical uh, audio engineering. Um, uh, and then on that course, so I did sort of recording, I did mixing, uh, spent a lot of time in studios, learned a lot of the kind of technical um, basis for audio uh, through that. And then I did a placement year when I was there in my third year. Uh, and I was at a few different studios actually, but one of them was Gearbox. So it was one of them was a mastering room. It was an all analog label at the time. It was releasing only on vinyl um, when I was there the first time, uh, when I was there at first. Um, and they, yeah, just had this really beautiful, really beautiful studio. Uh, lots of nice vintage gear, this really, uh, 
um, stunningly beautiful lathe called a scully, which is like, it's all like cast metal. It's really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I think partly because I started doing vinyl as well as doing mastering, you know, sort of I've never done them separately, if that makes sense. Sure, I sort of sure. started doing vinyl from the start for me. Um, I just wanted to keep up uh keep up with that mastering i enjoyed because it's all the kind of studio side it is working in music it's working with artists but you're sort of bringing a bit of a technical um edge perhaps uh to the process you know you have to actually do the correct format so you have to sure. do that all that kind of side of things um and also i quite like you know, it's a real sort of honour to be able to finish people's records off, like to be able to be the last person in the uh, in the process is, mm -hmm. is quite fun. Um, do you get, do you get, because I, and not to bring my background into it, but I work, I work for Nike at one point, but I always had personal pride in seeing what I contributed to, even on a very small scale. Do you have that personal pride, like if you're at the record shop or, or anywhere yeah. knowing and seeing the work that you contributed to? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's like a bug on my screen. Um, <laughs> I saw your Instagram post earlier. There is, there is yeah, a bug. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like this studio is full of bugs. Infestation <laughs> and air, air mastering. Look out. <laughs> How did that spider even get here? The doors are like, you know, like airlocks. <laughs> Almost, wow. just, just like run in when someone <laughs> anyway, someone opened the door and it saw its chance. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, but um, you, like seeing seeing a, a, a title yeah. of your work on in the, in the stores or out and about or listening yeah. to them. Yeah. I think I get that more with more with not more with vinyl. Like with digital mastering, um, it's amazing to like collaborate with people, and it's amazing uh, when people bring you their music, and it's really cool to hear stuff. And sort of be part of the process um in that way and with vinyl is like a thing uh that actually you know you can find in a record shop and you know we put our initials in the runouts and mm -hmm. like all this kind of stuff and like i quite like that side of things where it's actually gets a bit more niche that the the sort of the part that you're having but it's actually quite a tangible tactile um element to it for sure so so in like 200 years when we've we've we, the human race has eradicated itself. There will still be these physical markers of the work that you've contributed yeah. out there somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. those someone will find that metal work and be like Sicily. Yeah, what, what is this? this? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, well, one reason I wanted to talk to you, Sicily, is um, you, and you said it earlier, is that you kind of uh, got your feet wet in your career during the again quotation marks air quotes vinyl resurgence, and so I think it's a very interesting time because um, you know obviously popular music not even popular music, independent music there's a long history with vinyl and the format and then obviously i don't need to walk people through the cd and digital and that stuff but um do you as a mastering engineer i guess first and foremost do you have a preference if you're working on a, a project to put it on vinyl and is, is, there, is there a preference in your process on all that tell, tell us about that i wouldn't there's not a preference okay. uh i think like whatever people feel is best for their music and uh for the way that they want to release and like i like vinyl but it's not always going to be appropriate and it's you know it's expensive to sure. make uh it's hard to store so if you think that you're not going to have a, a market for it then you know i wouldn't like begin to suggest someone like put something out on vinyl just because just because i like it or whatever sure, um sure. um 
but uh and the workflow you know it's sort of it's nice to know if i'm if i'm doing the digital mastering the digital mastering you know they're like mastering for digital release um mm -hmm. as well as the vinyl you know it, it's good to know if something's going to go to vinyl because it does inform some decisions but but also i think it's quite important to to keep it as an option amongst many and to sort of not get you know, there was a, for a long time, vinyl was the only way that you could release music. Right. And right. so, you know, fair enough, fair enough if you're making decisions based on the vinyl, like how you, you know, shaped your album and like putting your ballad at the end of the side and like your, your second track of the, you know, all this kind of stuff, the beginning of the B side. Um, you know, and that's not really a constraint anymore. So, like, I sometimes when people, sometimes people ask me, you know, I've been told this, I've been told you can only have X number of minutes on the side, I've been told. And I just slightly think that it's not quite worth, like, really restricting yourself. Your, your creative part. Necessarily, right. your creative mm -hmm. process, yeah. And, like, mm -hmm. cutting, you know, putting stuff onto onto vinyl, um, onto disc, is a transfer process and it's a craft. Um, and part of that craft is... is doing it in the best way possible but i wouldn't then you know just because i might like consider the stereo bass or consider the whatever it is whatever f aspect of the music that i might need to consider in order to get something onto onto record mm -hmm. uh i wouldn't pass that on to the artist to be like you shouldn't have put this in there in the first mm -hmm. place like i don't think that that's um necessary you know i can advise and you can shape huh. things and it's nice when things come work together uh but if people want to you know whatever people got to well, do what they want to do yeah well that makes sense well i'm, I'm gonna jump ahead in my thing a little bit because you hit on something i want to ask you about mm. um in your role do you consider do you consider yourself service oriented or results oriented or maybe a little bit of both uh, I think you might need to clarify the difference. Well, uh, in terms of like you're talking about, like it's not necessarily your your position to say like your personal preference. You have no, you don't bring a, a personal bias into it. Versus, um, you know, like is that is that the focus of serving the artist versus the labels? Like, hey, we need to get this done, or we need to move these products around, and and is that the focus? Like, or is it a little bit both? Yeah. I'm sure there's a juggling act because there's a I lot of personalities and competing interests and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a bit of a both. Um I think probably a more service uh like probably more service based. I'm sort of quite aware that I'm only in um at the end of the process. Sure, that sure. maybe, you know, I've not been part of something for years in the way that other members of the team will have been. Um but equally it is my job to get things done and to get mm -hmm. them finished and to be the person that says you know what this is done and it's and it's good and, and we're finished um so sort of trying to sift through uh when there's a bit of a hold up or when there's a sort of um yeah something sort of blocking someone from 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 finishing sure, sure. Uh, their music you know it's sort of it is i guess it's much my job to to work out what, what's causing that and and how to get around it and how to kind of move things along um because gotcha. it is what i'm supposed to be doing is to deliver the final motor there you go right that makes um, sense yeah. talking about uh and we'll get into your process here in a little bit but um what kind of volume would you say like 
is it it just depends on the project or like i guess a very high level ballpark like what, what kind of output do you is it so many projects a week a month like how do you how do you quantify that uh yeah quite quite a few <laughs> a week i guess and, and the reason i ask i'm leading the witness here a little bit is because i've heard so a friend of the program george board and uh, he's mastered some things before and so i've kind of been asking him little questions in advance of our talk but i mean e even i think kevin gray i even heard a recent interview with kevin gray talking about like hundreds and thousands of projects in a year and and i had no idea it was that kind of that high volume churn when it, yeah. when it came to being a mastering engineer yeah yeah it is it is um you know because we're not working on tape you know the most real time is is vinyl um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and just obviously listening, <laughs> um, it takes longer <laughs> to, to master something, but like what we're trying to, well, at least what I think I'm bringing is a kind of fresh perspective, um, and something a bit objective. So I don't fly through things. I like taking the time. I often of have to sort of send emails being like, you know what? I know I said I'd send this today, but I'd quite like to send it in a couple of days. Cause I'd like to sit on it for a bit longer, have a little listen to some stuff and think about things. Um, but equally, you know, it's expected that we do quite a lot of work. Um, and, you know, I can, I'm, I've spoken to people of other generations and I know that things used to be slower and that's sort of just the music industry now is this kind of like speed, um, sure, speed sure. of things. Um, yeah. So it's, I think it surprises people how much work we do surprised me i'm telling you seriously it surprised no, me when it's i heard kevin gray is one of the kevin gray is one of the names right and i was like wow yeah. he's doing that much it really yeah. was an eye opener for me yeah 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 i think well i do so i do quite long shifts um because i share the room so i do fewer longer shifts um and so although i don't tend to do like multiple albums in a day or something i might have like one project that i start and then something else that i finish and then mm. something cut and then something that i like, do tweaks to or like whatever. do you find that keeps you fresh it keeps you fresh on each project balancing it out like that as opposed to just like saying tunnel vision on one one project yeah i kind of have to go yeah have to have to work it out really um since uh since starting doing these shifts like three years ago or so i had to get it sort of caused me to get incredibly introspective about how I work, sure, which is sure. a good and bad thing, I think. Um, so what you're saying is this is not a typical nine to five type of no. career choice. Okay, I just want to be clear. No, <laughs> no, um, it's not. There's not, you know, we don't by any means do such uh, such wild hours as, for example, my, my colleagues in the rest of the studio um, doing on sessions. Okay. that can be that you know because we can't because we're listening critically and you there is a time limit on that like you know there's some things that you can do mm -hmm. uh some work that we can do at the point that you're really tired but like everyone got emails to do we've got invoicing to do um oh, but uh but yeah you can't actually bring that kind of fresh perspective if you're just tired for sure for sure but, um, now, now i have to disclose i did not share my notes in advance but Cicely, we're we're really simpatico here because now next question was how important is critical listening to your process <laughs> so i'm not making this up you literally are taking words out of my That's mouth great. I, like, I like what's going on here yeah yeah do so well <laughs> um yeah well critical listening is everything <laughs> like there is no yeah um like critical listening is all i do i don't have a chain you know i've got equipment you can't see any of it i just pointed to it but, uh, <laughs> I, I guarantee it. it's around me uh, um you know i've got i've got piece of equipment i've got go to 
plugins and stuff. And that's, you know, just because you know how they sound. I know how, how I want things to, when I've decided what I want to happen, I then know how to get it to happen. Sure, sure. Um, but I don't have anything that I will always use. I will always check, always make sure it's it's working. I mean, I think that was um, something that was quite uh, drilled into me by uh, Ray Staff, who I learned from. Okay. Um, who who I learned a lot from. Um, mastering, you know, we're not dealing in, we can make a big difference, but within kind of defined boundaries, mm-hmm. like we're normally working on the stereo WAV, where like so the mix is basically there so the amount of creative difference that happens between you know a song not existing and it being mixed is obviously vast whereas between it being mixed and mastered can be quite a big sonic difference but isn't like isn't anything like in that scale um but it's just because we're dealing in that kind of difference it's just really important that everything everything that i'm doing is is serving the purpose that i'm that i'm trying trying to make the music sound better or clearer or more effective or or whatever it is um so yeah critical listening i just sit here all day going (laughs) is that better do i like it do i not (laughs) yeah right do you do you ever find that and this is i apologize this comes off as naive but do you ever find depending on the project you're working on do you ever have to fight off or or be cognizant of any kind of personal bias like if you're working on like and i I was reading that you worked on some of the bowie back catalog at one point like knowing like it's bowie right like do you ever find yourself like maybe putting some pressure or and or like having to remain objective and remind yourself like the task is this as much as you admire or appreciate this artist's legacy this is the task at hand yeah uh i think it's hard not to it's human nature right exactly. <laughs> like you know something like bowie you know you know not only a millions of people going to listen to it but it's music that a lot of people have a very strong emotional connection to already uh and so you know people have strong opinions they're entitled to them um uh but you sort of don't want to get that one wrong <laughs> or like <laughs> of course know, not right yeah. put yourself in the firing line um <laughs> but you know you kind of got to trust in the process and trust in the collaboration um you know the bowie project as an example was always very very closely done with a lot of people who had stakes mm-hmm. in in the music so um nigel reeve who was kind of producing it all basically was was the overseeing the whole thing it was very very close with the bowie estate and 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 new bowie itself and and so you know as as wherever possible decisions were made by the by the right decision makers mm-hmm. and things were signed off by the right people uh and so you sort of have to trust trust in that and and trust that people will come to you, you know, in this instance, and that was Ray mastering that, and I was assisting on a lot of it. Um, you know, but trust that people will come to you for your actual opinion, uh, and and so try and sort of give it as honestly as possible. Uh, you mentioned Ray before. Uh, this is one of my questions I had um, about mentorship, hmm. especially as you're getting started. But now that uh, you know, you're getting these accolades, uh, you're getting a really diverse uh, portfolio of projects you've worked on. Um, how important is the mentor-mentee relationship? And are you in a position or do you feel you're comfortable in a position to now be a mentor to somebody else? Yeah, uh, the mentor-mentee is definitely a, a big one and has um, 
benefited me, I guess is the wrong word, but you know, air. So I moved to air in 2016. I was at Gearbox for uh, a year, well, a year of placement, and then I went back for a bit after I graduated. Um, and they were really great, and I learned a lot there. And then we kind of sort of started to do digital releases, digital mm-hmm. mastering. And because I was the only one at that time um, that knew kind of the digital side of things, um, I was doing it and I kind of thought, well, actually, I don't really know. Didn't feel like I knew enough about it. Okay. Um, and then when the job at Air came up, sort of, because um, they were, you know, it's a sort of small world. Uh, they were looking for someone that had that had already started mastering, but hadn't like, you know, got too far down that kind of line yet mm-hmm. to, to, to teach. Ray was looking to start thinking about retiring and thinking about stepping down. So we wanted someone to come on to kind of be the assistant. And yeah, that was completely, uh, completely formative um, for me. Cause not only did I, did I get some, you know, he's a complete legend. Uh, he's an amazing engineer. Uh, and I was very lucky to to cross paths with him at a time when he was really looking to share um, a lot. Um, and then I could, you know, I was very involved in his projects because he was also looking to step down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, more widely, you know, the, the industry actually is quite small, um, the music industry, mastering particularly. Uh, and I think it's really, I've been, been very lucky to, I know a lot of, fellow mastering engineers and people are very kind and open um so you're like sharing of like best practices or uh, yeah, like, knowledge and expertise yeah like uh, you know you've got to kind of like not not ask too much um <laughs> you know course. i'm not sort of like going in saying pretending not to know anything or whatever like and like but like just you know if if there's some issue, I, I don't know, and you've not come across it, or like we know that like a batch of lacquers is a bit dodgy or whatever. Like there's a network there, and we can we can share that information, and it's and it and it benefits everyone. Um, and so, like, yeah, well, am I ready to be a mentor? I think I would struggle to have a sort of full time assistant just because I think I'm still learning a lot, and there isn't that much. It's a hard having someone shadowing is quite a sort of energy sure. consuming thing to do um it worked for me and ray because he could just come in for the sessions and i did everything else so he sort of just flew in sat down did the mastering and then and then he'd go and i was doing all the parts and all the communication and the sort of mm-hmm. tape transfers and, and clearly that, defined that, roles and yeah for that sure. set, was set up quite well um but i've always you know uh <laughs> this is a trickier thing to say on uh, on this kind of open format but like i'm pretty open if people come and, and want to meet me like you know i i don't mind because i because I've done a lot of that and I will mm-hmm. carry on doing a lot of that. Sure. Um, you know, I had someone actually ask for mentoring uh, not too long ago and they, you know, they kind of said that they had some funding and stuff and, and I was like, I don't actually, I don't want to sort of be teaching in a sort of paid position that doesn't really work for mm-hmm. me. But, but but it's really nice to know you, like come and see my studio, like come and, come and chat and, and form the connection. Um, so that the network is there. Um, you know, yeah. Um, I think that side of things is important. Sure. Uh, yeah. Really Talking about um, some of the, the, the engineers that came before you and, and, and is there a certain, like, do you study like the, the Bernie Grudmans or the George Kiros or whoever 
do you, do you study because I don't know if there's necessarily like a style like do you think that it, like you're because it's not like the, the Sicily Boston style mm-hmm. or sound right like do, do you kind of as a as a fellow mastering engineer now on this side do you kind of listen to some of their their work and kind of take cues from things you hear uh not really okay. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe maybe i should but you can you never know what's the mix and what's the master you so rarely get to hear um that kind of that difference mm-hmm. um you know you don't really know what people what people have done it was quite interesting i judged the um the mpgs the year before um i won it and i think that's the first time in depth i've had to really listen to to sort of before and after mm, mm. um mixed to master uh sort of tracks because you don't you don't normally get that um and also i think uh i listen to music you know critically in the wider sense you know, work out what people are doing level wise and sonically and stuff but mm-hmm. i wouldn't you, i don't think it's possible to know who exactly Unless you're in the room, Anyone right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Come from, so I wouldn't like go away and be like, "Oh, this is what this person sounds like," mm-hmm. um, per se. You know, it's cool to sort of see you know, Rudy Van Gelder's or who you know designing their own equipment. Yeah, I think I don't tend to disappear down a rabbit hole of what everyone else is doing, trying to work out what everyone else is doing. Are there some uh, some uh, contemporaries of yours? Because I, in as as a, a a record collector, a record connoisseur, um, I know when I was really learning about that part of the recording aspect, you know, again, Bernie, hear all the same names, Kevin Gray, uh, Chris Ballas, uh, all or Chris Bellman, excuse me. Um, but like, do you find yourself having um, or finding uh, the space with a lot of folks coming up and learning learning things? kind of generationally like do you find yourself as part of a new generation like for example like ryan k smith i feel is like on the i hate to say it's the younger side right like can you compare it to like bernie and those guys um do you find like you have a lot of contemporaries or like you said it's a very kind of small uh area of expertise is, is, is there not a lot of folks doing the mastering engineer now yeah i mean that there, there are for sure um uh but sort of few enough to know most of them um and yeah i mean i do have uh i get yeah this is a kind of uk us thing isn't it like you know like i'm really good friends with i'm really good friends with ollie morgan over abbey road because um, okay, okay. uh, we were kind of similarly assisting at the same time and then we kind of just like so we're sort of friends separately it's really nice to have like a someone who is the same age and doing the same thing um because yeah, it's not like most jobs where you can sort of know what the wider world looks like if, if your job is present elsewhere. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we all know each other. Katie, like, uh, and then this is a whole spectrum. Um, Kevin's moved over to, to Berlin. and Okay, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who else to name. I know lots of them. No, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, talking about your process, what um, – not to get too like deep into the weeds, but um, is it safe to say that, that there's a queue of jobs that uh, that come in, and then uh, is it literally first in, first out? Is there prioritization? How does that work in, in terms of the projects you choose to work on and when you choose to work on them? Um, yeah, there's normally uh, I, I mean, normally I can tell someone when I'm going to do their work. So if someone emails says, "I want you to cut this to record or master this." 
Um, yeah, and I just say when my next availability is. Uh, and sometimes that's... Sometimes it can be flexible if they're in a massive rush. Sometimes I can move things around, put them in that day. Sometimes they can wait a bit. Normally people email at the point that they're ready. Um, so everything's normally quite quick turnaround, like within a week or something. I might try oh, okay. and fit okay. something in. Um, but equally, they sometimes also email when when they know that they're about to go into the mix and just to check your availability. And then you can kind of pick a day and uh, yeah, and find out and sort of yeah, how I. It's always nice to know the ones that have a bit more time because uh, there's always something that needs to get done really quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, as I was saying earlier, I get quite like you know you have a a kind of day that that does that and sure. <laughs> and it's really important to be aware of uh how i'm hearing things and how i'm feeling about it and uh and so it's sort of i generally have a bit of an idea of what things i can kind of say actually didn't get to this with the sort of capacity that i would like you know do you mind if i send this to you over you know a couple of, couple of days or whatever uh, if, if you have more time do you find yourself uh, I wouldn't say obsessing, but like if you have more time, do you spend, uh, do, will you go back to certain things and kind of spend more time massaging them? And, and, and if so, how do you know when something is done, done when you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can always do tweaking. You can always keep trying to improve and, and, and yeah. least perfection, right? Like how do you, how do you yeah. decide between it's good finished product versus yeah. chasing, chasing the ghost of perfection? Yeah. Well, cause I think like you can, you can recognize when you get to a point where you're not really doing any benefit when you like you can't hear any difference you're putting things in and you're going well actually i don't really care you know because mm -hmm. i'm not having any response to to one thing or another uh and that like nothing you're doing is making it any better then that's probably a good point to stop um uh yeah I mean, I, you know everyone's it would be nice to have as much time as whatever unlimited time right. yeah of course every, you know every time and, and we live in the real world and you don't so um right. yeah and different you know different people sometimes it's nice when people come in uh to attend so that you can sort of explore those options together like i have producers and mix engineers particularly that i work with that that it's that's completely cool if they want to come in because i know that we might even end up doing stuff that I wasn't expecting to do because mm. they're right there and I can just ask. Whereas if they weren't there, the kind of back and forth required of sending a whole song um, to just explore sort of lots of different options doesn't always doesn't always end up with the with the best result. Um, uh, yeah. How important is uh, like client input? be it the actual artist or be it the, uh, the label or producers or folks with their hand in, in, in the, in the, in the flower. Um, how yeah. important is that to your process and making sure that um, you're staying true to what you're listening to and, and creating and, and finishing versus maybe what they're hearing, because obviously hearing can be subjective and in rooms and different places. So there's a lot of different variables that go into it, but um, how much input does that factor into your total output? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot. I, 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 I think a lot about, about, you know, the person that, the person that has sent me the work in the first place, uh, and then, you know, it can get a bit, not trickier, but sometimes it's not the artist, so then it needs to go to them too. But I would, I would always want the people whose music it is to be mm -hmm. happy, to be happy with the result. Um, 
you know, it's not, again, it's not mine to, to say, oh, it should definitely be like this, but I can give my opinion and I can say why I've done something. And then we can get to the bottom of how to do that same thing, but in a different way, if, if that's needed, um, if a different approach is needed, uh, you know, with albums and things, I tend to try and do a couple of tracks first, just as kind of refs so that people can hear mm. if they're not attending. Yeah, a sample of, of where you're going with it. Yeah. Or even if they are attending, do that before they come in because they don't know this room. They don't know my speakers. Um, and then everyone sort of gets on the same page and then you can just work together to move forward. I suppose to sort of spending too much time, um, yeah, if you spend, but it happens occasionally in attendance sessions. You spend lots of time in the attendance session, and they're going, yeah, yeah, we like it, and then they get home and listen to it at home and go, actually, actually, we it doesn't don't. sound how we how we thought it was going to. And sure. like, you know, you can change the approach as engineering. There's there's lots of different ways that things can sound. As stuff is subjective. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't yet turn around and say no. <laughs> like <laughs> you're wrong. I'm of right. Like, not. It's not my music. Of course, I wouldn't. Right, right. How, um, how maybe often? Maybe that'll come in like forty years time or something. Yeah, thirty. For years. sure. How often are, are are artists or other decision makers? I'll just maybe generalize like that in the room, listening and and kind of giving you feedback. Is that pretty common, or is it? It just depends on the project. Or? It just depends on the project. Um, uh, most weeks, someone will come in for some of one of the days, probably. Uh, but um, whether that's because they're someone that I know personally, so they just want to come and hang out for a bit, mm. but they're not really looking to have a massive input, or whether they want to come and really check everything that you're doing and make sure they're happy with it, um, completely varies. Makes sense. All right. Well, last one, last one I have for you before we get to the lightning round, the fun questions. Okay. Is uh, talking a little bit about the, the digital uh, mastering piece, I, I was listening to an interview you did talking about metadata. How mm. important is metadata, especially now? Because I, th I think you're you're explaining it in the context of royalties, right? And it's something I hadn't I hadn't thought about. And my work on the podcast, I am loosely familiar with metadata as I'm you know writing it into our, our, our productions. Um, how important is that? And 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 what does that really what, what does that drive? Is it primarily the royalties piece, or is it also like SEO, like search engine optimization type of things, or how does that work? Yeah, uh, I think SEO, it's literally the only thing that you can really put into a, into a WAV uh, at the moment is an ISRC. I mean, there is some provision for other stuff, but 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 I don't think most pieces of software other than dedicated mastering things can read any of that back out. Um, but ISRCs are, I think I was talking, yeah, that, that would have been what I was talking about. They're useful because they are what points um any of the automated systems, as far as I know, have been based on those. And so mm -hmm. that they're what points uh, uh, whatever system is looking at it towards the people whose music it is. Mm -hmm. um, but there isn't any other metadata that can really be implemented into the WAVs. And otherwise, it's stuff that gets typed up, presumably, at the point that it kind of gets uploaded or, or whatever. Um, and so it's not really metadata in that way because it's not embedded into the file. It's just mm -hmm. it's just data uh, that gets inputted somewhere. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, it's important for for royalties and it's it's worth for credits. And mm -hmm. eventually, when these kind of systems start, you know, the sort of credit system seems to be um, gaining traction. The kind of sure, more more and more vital in the industry. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it being published and it being sort of held together uh, uh, with. Uh, in centrally, um, 
things in a way that people can actually search and mm-hmm. and find. And, Not um, much. Sure. Yeah. All right. Here comes the fun portion of the conversation. <laughs> okay. If it hasn't been fun yet, it's about to get fun, I hope. Um, so you've worked with, and, and again, I kind of said this at the open, um, I got started to get familiar with your work through like the Vinyl Me Please mm. projects you've been doing, right? And it's it's a very diverse uh, a, a bunch of artists and projects from um, like the Busta Rhymes reissue. It was one. Yeah. Uh, you did the Chilino Sanchez, a recent, I believe, <laughs> if I saw that. So um, does that kind of add a little flavor to what you do to have such a like wide uh, offering yeah. of artists, musical styles, all that kind of stuff, and kind of like make the day in some instances funner? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's great. It's, it's also one of the great things about mastering is like how how diverse um, how diverse a week can be. I kind of I don't know. I probably I don't know if I'm supposed to say any of the people. So I have to keep it like separate to the artists. But I went from like you know contemporary classical to like classic metal to like <laughs> you sure. know upcoming indie like mm-hmm. you know in a in a day almost a couple of weeks ago and it was a particularly enjoyable week yeah nice is there um a, i wouldn't say a signature project but a, a project or two that you're particularly fond of for whatever reason it could have been uh working with the artist it could have been um the the magnitude of the project is there if if you know, it's kind of like like they're all they're all your 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 babies, so to speak. Yeah. So you can't pick a favorite, but at least top of mind, what are some that you're really proud of? Um. So, like, very recent announcement: it's an artist called Girly, whose album's actually coming out next year. Um. Uh, and I just love every track on that album, and just it was just great. It, I just like quite. You know, it's my job to do mastering, so it's pretty rare that I get so distracted by the music that I stop working. <laughs> um, but that only happened with this one. Um, I think, like, working on things for pe- people that you know, it's a really nice thing working with your friends. Okay. Um, so uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's out yet, but it's only announced, like, um, it's on vinyl as well. It's, guy called daniel gad he's a composer it's a really beautiful sounding album and i think the vinyl sounds really nice uh and it's like he's been it's produced by a friend of mine and it's you know someone that i've the producers online known for like 10 12 years or something more than that we used to live together when we were like oh wow Small so it's like that's really nice um um what else i mean the bowie stuff is was an incredible project just because what other artists you get to listen to what other artists is so rewarding to listen to you know in complete chronologically every sort of demo every uh live concert that went with every tour that went with every album Mm -hmm. that kind of in-depth knowledge was uh was incredible um yeah what else no, I mean, that's good. We don't want hurt anybody's feelings, Cecily. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings if you didn't. No, no, it's exactly hard. It's hard to pick. <laughs> um, I do. It is nice to work on everything. It's always nice when you suddenly get tagged in something and you think, "Oh God, that's out now! Great!" Like sure, sure. you know, you never know how long it's going to be between mastering it and it and it coming out. And um, yeah, and seeing the response to it and seeing seeing the sort of people posting about things in their own words. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. So, um, so after listening to music all day. Great, like the work and limited to uh i just want to read a book i just i just want to go for a walk i just want to have that kind of boundary like how do you find yourself balancing that out 
yeah, I fluctuate. I definitely go and see live music. I love going to gigs. Um, and uh, and seeing people. I'm actually going to an album album launch this evening. Oh, uh, but then a friend of mine texted me saying, "Did I want to go to the Nothing But Thieves show?" And I was very torn. But I'm going to go to the album launch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, live music, great. Um, listening to music at home does fluctuate. I think um, just uh, just because yeah, because I listen to a lot of stuff. So sometimes it's nice to take the break. But equally, I think because I work in music, uh, the times that I am listening, um, you know, I can really lean into the listening purely because I like it, sure. you know, purely because that is what I want to be listening to in that moment, whether it's some completely random record that my granddad used to have or mm. uh, went through a big kind of like slightly punky um sort of angry <laughs> like music phase where sure. I was like doing a lot of running and yeah. like listening to Anki and it was great like it was fun so you guys sort of like really lean into your nostalgic like the things that I would have listened to when I was a teenager or whatever obviously I do a lot of listening for kind of general knowledge <laughs> as it were of course. for my work but um yeah so the times that I'm listening and trying to get better at just sort of just tapping into that really core kind of feeling of what I want to be listening to Makes sense. Uh, all right. So this last one, no pressure. The last one, what kind of record collection does a mastering engineer have? Do you have, do you have like this wall to wall or you're like, Hey, you know what? I've only got a refined, I've only got a couple cubes. Or, <laughs> what, what, what does your record collection in particular, Cicely look like? Yeah. So it's not huge. It's about <laughs> like 1.5 meters long, perhaps <laughs> one record. Um, it would be nice to have more, but I'm 31 and I live in London, so I move house maybe every year. <laughs> and like, <laughs> having a having a record collection is a is a is a heavy thing to move every time. Um, that that that's where you have to do a lot of intentional listening and, and yeah, intentional ownership, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice, but yeah, when I when I can stay somewhere, when I can live somewhere for a bit longer in one go, <laughs> then I'll probably start buying more records again. Um, but so, you know, I've got a sort of amp and a record player that I've been lugging around <laughs> every move. Um, yeah, so it's not huge, but it would be nice to, would be nice to have more. Well, you heard it here first. This is this is the beginning of you. You're going to amass a giant record collection. I can just see it in your future. You're going to have a big one of these days. One of these days. I awesome. think it's yeah. It's like really nice memories of like friends' houses. That I have one friend in particular where music was always on in their house, and uh, they had a lot of CDs. They dad worked in radio. She still works in radio um, now. Um, and I just have a really you know you go into the house and here's just they put you know put on put on a put on a record or a CD or whatever. And I think the physical side of it, it just makes all the difference. So you look at all the titles, you like decide what you want to listen to. For sure. For I sure. think that's really nice than someone handing you a phone and Spotify and being like, what do you want to listen to? And you have all the music ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's quite a lot to choose between. For so sure. yeah, that's my dream for myself. It'll happen. It'll happen. We're going to make it happen. Awesome. Well, Cicely <laughs> Boston, thank you so much for the time. Uh, it was a real treat. Again, keep up the great work. Uh, there's all these titles that, like I said, Vinyl Me Please. I know uh, you're working with a lot of other labels, but especially the, the the hip hop, the metal, all the stuff that was so foreign to vinyl production for whatever reason. I don't know why. There was a real yeah, appetite for it, and I find why. I find you in the mix of it a lot, and so that's yeah. why I'm like, I've got to talk to her because I got to thank her first and foremost. But keep up great. the great work because these it's albums. Cool. Are it's been awesome. really fun. All that hip hop, particularly, it's been like a real. I love like looking at the credits and seeing who's on each other's records and like trying to piece together this sort of whole whole scene. Yeah. Well, that's well, that's how I found you because I'd get these vinyl me please right, and I'm like, mm. that sounds great. 
And then it, the young, I think the young MC, I think he touched that one too. Yeah. And I was like, man, I was like, this sounds great too. And then I saw it saying a common thread and I'm like, I've got to talk to her because one, <laughs> one I wanted to thank you. And two, I wanted to tell you, keep up the great work. It's awesome. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice. <laughs> well, pre appreciate the time. Again, Concert Buddy signing off, Final Community Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, Cicely. Thanks for having me. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts. 